Welcome to the Circle C Reach podcast, where we try and bring a little bit of Circle C Ranch to you. This is our first series that we're putting out, and it's a series our founder, Mr. West, is passionate about. It is a series that is for pastors. Mr. West is very excited about using this platform to try and equip pastors with the materials that great giants of God gave to him throughout the years. Reverend Wesley Aram graduated from Bible school, university, seminary, and was ordained to the gospel ministry in 1952. He was a youth pastor, pastor, leader in Youth for Christ, evangelist, director of a Bible conference, and founded the Living Water Circle Sea Ranch in 1968. In 1957, he was married. He's the father of two boys who graduated from Grand Rapids Baptist Bible College, now Cornerstone, both in full-time ministry. And he has four grandchildren who know and love the Lord. He has had a number of giants of God who have impacted his life. And in this series, he shares some of those things he has learned from them. His desire is that these lessons might be a rich blessing to you and helpful in your ministry. Hi, this is Wes Aaron. The call to preach is a call from God, and if you can do anything else but preach and be happy, you've not been called to preach. That was Dr. Bob Jones Sr., the founder of Bob Jones University, who had a tremendous impact on my life because I sat under his ministry for five years. A young preacher came to me from a soul-winning conference. It was a great soul-winning conference, too. It was John R. Rice's way back then, and he was ready to quit the ministry. Why? Because he heard people introducing these giant so-called big preachers saying they had a thousand additions and all the rest of it. He was so discouraged. And I explained to him what success in the ministry was. And when we were finally finished, I'm happy to report he's back, was back at his church doing the job for the Lord. Now you got to understand, I picked this up from a real wonderful man of God that was a missionary in Japan. He says, Satan attacks in five different ways. They're all called the five D's. First, he starts with a disappointment. Then you dwell on that and it becomes a disillusionment. You continue to dwell on that and you become discouraged. It's a discouragement. And then it ends up defeat and disaster. See, if we stop the enemy at disappointment, we win. And I learned from a great giant of God who later in this series, I'll share with you some of the things he shared with me, but Dr. George Mundell was his name. He put this, and I've got it in three different places on my wall in my office. It says, quote, I must see every person or circumstance that touches my life as the Holy Spirit coming to me through that person or circumstance to make me like Jesus, end quote. Dr. Mundell says, if you take that as a motto and mean it, You'll never be disappointed. Why? Because everything that happens in your life as the type of a Christian we're going to talk about in a moment, he said everything's of God to make you more like Jesus. And I thought that was just fantastic. Now, what is success in the ministry? First, let me say something that you clearly understand. Success is not numbers. We have the idea that numbers makes a successful ministry. Some years back, the state of Texas, Michigan, and Florida, there were three pastors of churches from four to 6,000. These were Bible-believing churches. And everybody says, what a success these pastors are. Not according to God. All three of them were having affairs. You see, bodies in the pew, dollars in the offering does not mean success. Now, it can be a byproduct of success, but it's not success itself. There is only one thing that is a success in the ministry, your relationship to God, period. See, when I was at Bob Jones University, I graduated from Bible school first, then I went to Bob Jones, and I just finished my degree in music, because that's I'm a musician, and I was would be going back to get my degree in uh, 
finished my degree in English Bible or theology, as they called it. But I had a hunger put in my heart to be a godly man. I was 24 years of age, and I was really hungry to be a man of God. But I didn't know how. I'm serious. I read my Bible. I prayed, and I'm a piano player, and I'm a song leader. I led singing. I played piano for quartets. I did everything for the Lord. Still, something was missing. I came home from school that uh, after that uh, year, and uh, as I came into the kitchen, there was a tract on the table of our home, and I uh, picked it up and read it. And I said, you know, this man sounds like he's got the answer. I had heard of him, but of course, I didn't know him. His name was Dr. A.W. Tozer. And so I thought I'd write the company and find out where he was and maybe get a contact with him somehow. The Lord, the next day, had it all arranged. Delta Lake Bible Conference brochure came to our house. That's a Christian Missionary Alliance conference, and the headline speaker was Dr. A.W. Tozer. I told my parents, I've got to head out and hear this man. I had a 41 Pontiac. Gas was 12 cents a gallon, and I took off for Delta Lake. I slept in my car, used their facilities. Now, Pastors were there by the score. And at the moment Dr. Tozer would finish with his preaching and come down, they would surround him. I found this out. But that night, he stood by a post. There wasn't one person near him. I know God kept everybody else away because there was a young man there with a hungry heart. I had to know. I remember I walked up to Dr. Tozer. I shook his hand. He was a short man, but his hand was as big as mine. He was a farm boy. And I said, Dr. Tozer, my name is Wes Aram. And I poured my heart out to him. I said, can you help me? He looked at me. He said, are you willing to die? He saw the startled look in my face. He said, son, what you're asking for is a death sentence. Are you willing to die? I didn't know what he was talking about. And then he quoted Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He went on to say, but God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. In 2 Corinthians 4, says, Paul said, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And then he shared with me, step by step, what I had to do to become a crucified Christian. It was an eye-opener, to say the least. But I want to share with you this morning what he shared with me. He told me this. Wes, get in a room where you will not be disturbed. Take with you your Bible, paper, and a pen. The position of your body is not important. You can lay down, sit, stand, walk. It's the position of the heart. Then you pray this prayer. Dear Father, turn the light of the Holy Spirit on my life and show me what's in my life that you want to remove. He says, then as God reveals one thing after another, he says, within 60 seconds, God will reveal the first thing in the moment he does. You take and you repent of that. Name in the sin, repent of it, ask him to put it under the blood and wash you clean. This goes on and on. You re- as God brings it to mind, all of a sudden he brings something to mind and you've got to make restitution on. That's what the paper is there for. You write down what you're going to do, make right after the session is over with the Lord. And you continue on step by step. The first thing God showed me was conceit because I happened to be an athlete and I was a musician and so forth. And I wanted to wrestle with it. And Dr. Tozer said, remember, when God shows you something, don't argue with it. 
Don't try to reason with it. Don't try to rationalize it because then you might as well get out of the room. Nothing's going to happen. But he said, admit it. It's a sin because God showed it to you. Repent of it. Ask God to put it on the bud, wash you clean. And all of a sudden, as you do this, step by step, you've written down whatever has to be written down. You can say, all right, Lord, what else? And nothing comes to mind. Lord, is there anything else? And nothing. He said, what that means is God has taken all the garbage out that he wants out of that life. Now he says you take and step by step, you give God your body. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies, not your life. He says, life and death is in the hands of God. You present your bodies. And he says, start at the top of your head and go right down to your feet. Give him step by step every piece of your body. Say, Lord, my hands are yours. I lay them to you. I give them to you, etc. Go right down the body, every part of it. Then you have to dethrone yourself. He said, now the hard part comes. You're going to take self off the throne and he's going to fight you with everything he's got to tell you, no, no, you don't want to do that. No, uh-uh. And he'll give you reasons why you ought not to do this. God's going to take your life. God's going to do this and all the rest of it. He says the devil's going to fight you like everything to keep. He says, but you, what you've got to do is say, I take that throne from Wes Aram and I take you, Wes Aram, and I lay you on the cross and God, nail me right now. Nail Wes Aram. Now he said, when you come to this place, when you've given God every part of your body, you've dethroned self, you can now say, Lord, I am yours. He said, at that moment, God, the Holy Spirit, who indwells every Christian, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of his, that moment, God, the Holy Spirit, fills that body. And the result of the filling of that body will be a divine love for Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.22 the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is divine. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love for whom? John 17, 26, the last half. Father, Jesus said, the lover with you love me, that's divine, might be in them. Divine. He said, you will have a divine love for Christ like you've never had in your life. He says, it will be a shock and a wonderful surprise. And you will love Christ. And that's what it's all about. It'll be all about him, not about us. And he said, remember this. A man that was going up the Roman road with his cross was not coming back. He wasn't having his life redirected. He was going to die. Now, a man on a physical cross cannot look back. The cross is behind him. He's faced in one direction, the way the cross is faced. He has no future plans of his own. He's crucified. He says that's what it is when you become a crucified Christian. You put your hand to the plow, you don't look back, you're faced to one direction. Heavenward, you have no desires or will of your own. Lord, what do you want me to do? And this giving of the body to the Lord is a battle. Let me share a personal experience. This was something that was very interesting. Shortly after I met with Dr. Tozer, that summer, I was playing piano at Maranatha Bible Conference, and along with a couple other jobs during the day, I was working the B&O Railroad, and at night I was involved in uh, short-order cooking at the camp. But I was playing the piano with a tremendous organist. Merle Dunlop was his name, a tremendous man. <laughs> oh, gee. And one night he said, Wes, I'd like to have you play a piano solo. Well, I had just finished my degree in music. I, I had to give a piano recital. That meant I was practicing three, four hours a day. So I was at the top of my game. I could really fly over those ivories. 
And I said, oh, I'd love to play for the Lord. That wasn't true. Down deep inside, I was going to show the people how I could tear them, as they say, a piano apart. I went home. I had it all planned what I was going to do. Went back to my door in my room. I was going to play Master of the Tempest is Raging, running bass, and running on the top, the lightning, the whole bit. It was quite an arrangement, to say the least. I came early. And the woman was just finishing the Vespers. And she said, I'm going to show you a little bit of my work. They turn out the lights. I was in the last seat, way back in the last row of the big auditorium. And they, she worked with the lepers. And she went down the body of this boy, the camera did. And he, part of his ear was gone. But the thing that hit me so hard, he sat there, not with his hands folded. He didn't have hands. He had stubs. And God said, Wes Aram, but for my grace, that could be you. I sat there and silently wept. I still remember to this day, I laid my hands out. I said, Lord, if you want to take him, you can have him. But if you let me keep him, I will only play for you. That night, I could hardly get through the testimony. I was so mostly struck by the Lord. Sat down on the keyboard. I didn't know there was a person in the auditorium. All I knew was I had fingers to play for Jesus. Now, when you make your own arrangement, you can make a few mistakes. Nobody knows that. It's your arrangement. I didn't make mistakes that night. That night, for the first time in my life, I played for Jesus. I'll never forget it. All I could do while I was playing is say, Lord, thanks for the fingers to play for you. Not one person said anything about talent afterwards. A number of people said, Wes, that was such a blessing. That is giving your body to God. And in December that year, Lord, I had to have it out. Crisis came into my life, and the Lord says, I think it's time, and I'll never forget it. Could have been taken care of in three hours. It took me six days. Why? Because I was fighting God to be a preacher as a musician. But uh, I finally, I never forget it. Oh, I, I had gone through it, I'll tell you. When the Lord takes you to the woodshed, it's no fun. I lost a lot of weight. And I was very weak. And as I laid on the floor sobbing, I remember I said, Lord, I'm terrified, but I will preach. I will. At that moment. I fell in love with Jesus. As Dr. Tozer said, it'll be something like you've never experienced in your life. And oh, how right he was. In my mind, I'm there hugging the ankles of Jesus, telling him how beautiful he is. And oh, how I love him. And that love spills over to your Bible, to prayer, to the brethren, and to souls. Your life is different. And the Lord gave me Isaiah 61. One is the verse, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. It couldn't be much clearer than that. I went back to Bob Jones. I was running the music in Youth for Christ at Charlotte. In fact, Billy Graham's mother would come every Saturday. It was quite an encouragement to me. And I had a wonderful choir, and I had a, a band and an orchestra. And it was it was great. And I went back to that, and three young ladies came up to me, and they said, Wes, we've been praying. God's laid you on our heart. We want you to come to preach to our youth. They had to use the word preach. I said, uh, I'm not a preacher, but I'll get a guy that is one. It was like the Lord grabbed my coat and, my coat and said, what'd you say? And I never forget it. I was so scared. I said, I'll preach. I'll be there. My preacher boys tried to help me get a message that week. My subjects didn't do well. And I worked like mad. And the only thing I could get was the story of blind Bartimaeus, but no message. So I went there and they, there were 30 kids, three Christians, the rest were unsaved. And they were singing old Hiram's Goat and three blind mice. It was the craziest youth group. So I sat down at the piano and did some Victor Borgia nonsense that I could do to get their attention. And then I explained to them the, the hymns that I was going to play and the background of it. And then I played it in four-part harmony, then used the left hand, which is your rhythm section, octave chord, and the right hand and so forth and I did this for three numbers and then I stood up 
And I read the story of blind Bartimaeus. In all honesty, I was going to pray and say, kids, I'm not a preacher. And instead, the Lord said, you can give a testimony. I'll never forget it. I said, yeah, I could do that. And I started to tell what Jesus had done for me. Now, remember, I'd fallen in love with him just a few weeks before. Tears were running down my face. I didn't know it. All I know is I was telling him how Jesus died for me, how he took my sins and God's judgment and all the rest, and how he invited my life. I recognized I was a sinner. I couldn't save myself. Jesus could save me. I turned from my sin, and I received Christ, and I told him about it. And I said, kids, it's a thrill to be a Christian. Let's pray. And as I was going to pray, the Lord said, maybe someone wants to accept me. And so I said, while our heads are bowed, if there's one of you kids here that would like to invite this lovely Lord Jesus into your life, raise your hand. And 27 hands went up. I said, put them down. I went through the plan of salvation again. 27 hands. I didn't think they understood. I said, put your hands down. I went through it again. And this time I said, if you mean it, I want you to get up and stand with me. 27 kids came forward. We were all crying. I introduced them to Jesus that night. But why I'm telling you this story is I went back in my car. I was saying 41 Pontiac, put my head on the steering wheel. I was exhausted. And it wasn't an audible voice, but the thought came so strongly from the Lord. Wes, see what I can do when I control the vessel. It's not about you. It's about him. And when he controls you, he can use you. And the, the one that is so, the scripture that is so much at this is Psalm 27, 4. The psalmist said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And he said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing, not two things, one thing. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I'm determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him thing. Now, if you have a desire, and it's a good desire, that's fine. But that, what good is it after that? It's not useful. But he didn't stop there. One thing I have a desire to the Lord, that will I seek after. There's the secret. Seeking after the Lord. Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above. What things? It always puzzled me. I heard a lot of sermons out, but I, the Lord gave me, I'm convinced the answer is good for me. Found in Luke Chapter 1, verse 35, the last half, Gabriel's talking to Mary, and he says, Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That thing, in the plural, in Colossians 3, is seek those things where Christ sitteth in the right hand of God the Father. The things, the plurality, is Jesus and God. Now, we don't seek the Holy Spirit. He lives within us, as I said before. If you don't have him, you don't have, have not the Spirit of Christ. You're not of him. We seek him. We seek Jesus and God. And then he went on to say that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That's the holies of holies in the special place. The priest in the Old Testament, if you remember, sacrificed yearly. And they would sacrifice for the people. They had the bells around the bottom. They had a rope tied to their leg because if the sacrifice wasn't taken, God would kill them. And they couldn't go in and get them. They'd have to pull them out. When Jesus came, that veil was ripped from top to bottom. And now we have the privilege of going, entering into the Holy of Holies to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, I never saw this, but Dr. Tozer, I might add, became like a dad to me later on. I can explain it in another session. But he, this assistant saw his door of his office open. He went to shut it. And he said, there was Tozer on the floor. And he could hear him crying. And through his tears, he was telling Jesus how beautiful he was. And, oh, how I loved him. He said to me, Wes, I never touched that door. Dee Dee was in that room. 
So I asked Dr. Tozer, I said, uh, how do you worship? Well, he said, Wes, I'm human. I have to put a body on God. Now, I know he doesn't have a body, but I do. And he says, as I approach the throne, he says, there sits Jehovah God in all of his beauty and above him the seraphims with quietly, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. To God's left, right, my left, he said, I look and there sits Jesus, my Savior, my Lord. Next to me is the Holy Spirit. He's my prayer partner. He's walking me into that. I come to the, near the throne. I kneel and I prostrate him. And I lay there. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, I tell Jesus how beautiful he is. And I worship him and the Father. And he says, Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro over all the earth. And he says, as they come over the Holy of Holies, the eyes of God meet my eyes, the eyes of my soul. He said, Wes, that's heaven on earth for me. That's worshiping the Lord. Dr. Bill Stewart is another giant of God that impacted my life. He was a representative of Moody Bible Institute. I was out visiting with him one time, and we had lunch together at his home, and he said, I'm just going to lay down for a little while, Wes. And I said, you always take a little rest after eat. He said, oh, no. He said, I go in on the bed, lay on my back. I look toward heaven for about a half an hour or so. I just lay and love Jesus. He said, have you ever done it? I said, no. He said, try it, but take a handkerchief. Tears will come because the Holy Spirit loves when you love Jesus. Story, he said, what did the psalmist say? To worship the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's your prayer ministry. We'll deal with that in the third session. But see, the crucified life is success in the ministry. It's a love for Jesus, as I said. Then you love your Bible. You love prayer. You love the brother. You love the lost. You're changed. First pastor, you need to make sure you know the joy of the crucified life. And it's an I die daily thing in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Paul says, I die daily. So you have the crisis experience, and it's I die daily. This crucified life needs to be taught to your people. Now, here at Circle C Ranch, the camp that I started, we teach this to all our summer staff at Circle C. We teach them a crucified life is a life that is fulfilling the purpose for which you were born and born again. <clears throat> and then you live the life God has planned for you. You see, godly people make a godly church. And a godly church is a church that God blesses. Yes, you can have the crowds. You can have the big budget, but that's not success. That's a byproduct. True success is a crucified life. I trust you know that experience and then share it with your people. Youth directors, share it with your young people. We do it here at camp. And what a difference it makes. And you'd be amazed how many young kids that are college kids going to school have come here. Once they've come to this place where, Lord, I'm yours, they've changed their major. A number of the guys have gone into youth ministry because God had control of me. He said, I don't want you there. I want you in this. And God will lead and direct your life. And he'll also lead you in the sermon you're going to preach. And he'll be with you when you preach that sermon. It's vital. Success wrapped around Jesus himself. God bless you, man, as you fight the good fight of faith for Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Circle C Reach podcast. On the next episode, Mr. West will be talking about what he calls the lost art of the church. You're not going to want to miss that. Until then, God bless.